Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters for today's conversation we are joined by a dear friend and co-laborer, Dr. Chuck Lawless. Dr. Lawless serves as professor of evangelism and missions at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also serves as the dean of doctoral studies and vice president for spiritual formation and the ministry centers at Southeastern. Before we get into today's discussion, I want to share just something brief about Dr. Lawless. For those who are unfamiliar with Sebits or at least the office layout of Southeastern, our office is located just in front of Dr. Lawless's office. And I confess, that puts a lot of pressure on me personally. <laughs> it's, it's not even that, that Dr. Lawless's office is in front of ours. It's because really, I'm just going to be honest, there's a candy war that mm. exists on our floor. Yes, uh, Each office tries to have the best candy available for guests, students, and coworkers, and I fail miserably more often than I succeed at this. There have been numerous occasions, Dr. Lawless, where I'll see you walk by my office, just give a glance, and just keep walking, <laughs> which tells me I'm not doing my job. I, I never knew that you noticed that, but that's exactly what happens. <laughs> you notice I stop him when you have... Peanut M&M's. Got that stocked up right now. You're good. And, and You're hear good. me when I say this. People take this seriously. Like once I had Lindor <laughs> truffles, and I was told that was too pretentious. Another <laughs> wow. time I had basic wow. chocolates, and I was told I needed to step it up. But yeah, Dr. Lawless isn't afraid to tell you when you need to step it up <laughs> on candy or with the shoes that you wear. But brother, I'm so thankful for the accountability. <laughs> I'm so thankful for you joining today's discussion on spiritual warfare. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This this is a conversation I've had on my dry erase board for months with your name next to it. I'm so glad we're having this discussion today. So to just to get things started off, maybe if you could just share how you got interested in this topic of spiritual warfare. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. It's, it's personal, but uh, I think it's important to know that. I I was raised in a Southern Baptist church in Ohio, became a believer at age 13, but we didn't talk about spiritual warfare at all. Hmm. It just was not, uh, really wasn't on the radar screen. Uh, I was I was raised in a non-Christian home. My, my parents weren't believers until very late in life. My dad, when I was really young, drank and was, was violently angry. And so I, I grew up with a lot of fear of him. Uh, when I got old enough to defend myself, I, I developed some hatred of him. So when I became a believer, I didn't know what to do with any of those emotions, any of those feelings. Even into my early pastorate, I, I struggled. I need, I need to love my dad, but I don't know how. Hmm. And there was a point uh, when reading Ephesians 6 just came to life for me, where Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And Though I had read that text many times before, uh, it really just gripped my heart to say, look, your dad is not your enemy. Mm. Um, I was mad at my mom for not, not walking away from my dad. Um, but I learned my mom's not my, 
not my enemy. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that, that there's a supernatural enemy behind all of that who wanted to keep me defeated and bitter and angry and fearful uh, was was the beginning, really, of, of being freed to pray more for my parents to become believers. But it really started there. It started with a very personal uh, issue in trying to figure out how to love my dad. Uh, and then it broadened to, I think, what does the Bible say about spiritual warfare in general, and how does that affect the church, and how does that affect the, mm. the mission field? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, 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 you, you talked about your, your life growing up, and I, and I think about my life growing up. Um, uh, it was a different scenario. Uh, my parents came to Christ when I was when I was younger. Uh, in fact, I don't actually remember a time where my parents weren't believers mm. and where we didn't go to church on Sundays. Both mom and dad were active in the church and uh, still are to this day. Um, and so uh, I've, I've had a lot of experience uh, just in terms of growing up in church with you know just hearing the conversations and the kinds of things that would be talked about either in the sanctuary or at the dinner table uh, when we'd have friends and family over. Uh, but one of the things that I've recognized over the years is that when I was a, a little boy, there was all kinds of talk about about spiritual mm. warfare. Mm. You know, if there was anything bad going on, I can still to this day remember my nana. You know, just going, "That's the devil." You know, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and things like that. You know, and just uh, you know, everything was the devil. You know, everything was demonic. You know, mm-hmm. music was demonic, TV <laughs> was demonic. You know, and all of this. And now we're at a point where it seems like uh, maybe kind of borrowing from like a Charles Taylor or someone, you know, of, of saying that we've grown kind of disenchanted. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we're, we're in a world now or in a culture now where there's little to no talk about about uh, uh, spiritual warfare or even spiritual beings and things like that. Do you, do you agree with that? And, 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 and why? why? Why is that the case? Yeah, no, I do. I do agree with you. I think particularly among evangelicals, we we have we've allowed our Pentecostal friends, and I don't mean that negatively at all. We've allowed them to carry that load in recognizing this reality, and we've been afraid to even bring it up. Mm. Um, and so we just haven't had conversations about that. In the late '80s, early '90s, there really was a growing interest in spiritual warfare. Frank Peretti's book, This Present Darkness, in 1985 really popularized the the topic among evangelicals. Mm -hmm. But I think what happened there, too, uh, Ranjur, is that those who were writing, many of them went to the extreme and really did find demons behind every rock. And so what started out as a helpful correction, as is often the case, sometimes the the pendulum swung too far Mm -hmm. into fascination with the demons. And so even that kind of died out some. But I'm I'm convinced that if we don't talk about the reality of spiritual warfare, we we neglect it to our to our peril. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. So we both both of you have kind of mentioned that there there is a an extreme when it comes to these things where you know we we attribute everything as a spiritual attack, and there's another extreme where we we don't recognize it as a spiritual mm-hmm. attack. So. How do we discern what spiritual warfare is and what isn't spiritual warfare? What What is a spiritual attack and what isn't one? I am not convinced that there is an easy answer to that. <laughs> uh, the the Bible is clear in Ephesians 2 that we wrestle against our flesh, against the world, and against the devil. Our flesh is our biggest problem. Mm-hmm. I I think 
And Clint Arnold makes this point in his book, Three Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare, that that the three enemies are sometimes so intertwined that we can't tell which one is the origin. Mm-hmm. And, and I would continue that to say, you know, we could wrestle all day with, or is this just my flesh? Is this the devil? Is this just the world? And we could spend all of our time trying to figure that out when at the end of the day, Brandon, our responsibility is to turn from our sin and trust Christ. Mm. Yeah. If it's if it's the world uh, attacking us, our responsibility is to turn from sin and trust Christ. If it's our flesh, we turn from sin and trust Christ. If it's mm. the devil, we turn from him and we trust Christ. So in some ways, the, the question of what is the origin, uh, what's warfare and what isn't, uh, becomes irrelevant when you know that our response is the same regardless of the origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, for me personally, how do I know when I'm under spiritual attack? Typically, it is when I can look at my life and I see I, I can't find any place where I've just left something open for the enemy. I've not put junk in my mind. I'm faithful in my disciplines. And out of nowhere, uh, an image of something I saw when I was 10 comes up in my head. It's not because I watch something on TV. Some It just, it just erupts in my head. And if I know that my life, as far as I can tell, is, is walking with God— and still those kinds of internal temptations happen, that's pretty good evidence to me that that the enemy is attacking some. Mm. No, that, that's really helpful. So for believers, what is the enemy's end game here when it comes to spiritual attacks? We, we know as believers our salvation is secured in the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the end game of the enemy? And if I could just add another part to that, what should the believer's response be? Uh, certainly, we, we shouldn't fall into one of those two extremes that we've that we found, we've already discussed, passivity or fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me, let me approach that from a couple different directions. One, all the warnings about spiritual warfare in the Scriptures are written to believers. Mm-hmm. They all are. So when Paul says we wrestle against principalities and powers, and Peter tells us there's one that's going about like a roaring lion— and and I could go on with that. Mm-hmm. Clearly, these battles are real, and so we we cannot ignore them. At the same time, the the scriptures are clear. Uh, the condition of non-believers. When Paul describes lostness, he often does so in the context of warfare. Ephesians two, he says the the non-believers following the prince of the power of the air. In Second Corinthians four, he says that they are blinded by the the god of this of this age. Uh, in Colossians 1, they're living in the domain of darkness. In 2 Timothy 2, though, there's some debate about the, the hearers of that, of that uh, particular text. Uh, they, are, they are caught, they're captive in the, in the devil's snare. Mm-hmm. In Acts 26, when Paul gives his testimony and he, and he quotes Jesus, Jesus tells him his calling is to help them be freed from, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And so, so Paul paints this picture of non-believers who are held in the enemy's darkness, and the enemy is coming after us because we're the only plan God has given us to get the gospel to lost people. We are God's plan, and if the enemy can can mow us down, destroy our testimony, bring us into silence so we're not speaking the gospel, or speaking the gospel that to others is not credible because our life doesn't back it up, mm. then he removes the witness of the, of the gospel. And I think that's his end game, mm. to rob God of his glory by removing God's people from the battle that lost people who, who cannot be saved apart from the hearing of the gospel— 
remain in bondage. Mm. 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 So, so how can pastors prepare for the battle? You know, not not just for themselves. Obviously, you know, pastors have to have to guard themselves and 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 fight themselves. You know, against the the schemes of of the enemy. Uh, but pastors are also in the position of fighting for their yeah. brothers and sisters in Christ, for those that have been entrusted to them. So how how does uh, how does a pastor do that? Um, you know, not only the fight, but how do they prepare for that for that kind of battle? A couple of things. One, Paul's clear in Ephesians six again: the way we deal with this battle is we put on the whole armor of God. Mm-hmm. As I see that in the context of Ephesians, that means we understand who we are positionally in Christ, because that's the first three chapters of the book. And then chapters four to six, this is the way we practically live that mm-hmm. out. Oh, so we understand who we are, and we live in accordance with who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul connects all that in Ephesians 4, one, where he tells us to walk worthy of our calling. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he says, because of who you are, this is the way you better live. So I think it honestly, it starts with asking the question, am I, as a pastor, am I Am I walking in truth, which which means that do I have Christ who is truth in me, and am I living a life of truth? Am mm-hmm. I living a life of integrity? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to do that if I'm going to stand against the enemy. Am I am I walking in righteousness, having the righteousness that God has given me now fleshed out of my life? Am I speaking the gospel of peace? Do I know the the promises of God? I trust them in carrying the the shield of faith? Do I live out my salvation? Uh, do I do I love the word and, and speak the word? Do I, in in the, the shoes, the gospel of peace and the word too, am I out speaking the gospel as I ought to be? And I think what Paul's doing in Ephesians 6 is this. He says, if you just live the way that you're supposed to live, you just walk in truth and righteousness and speak the gospel and trust the promises and live out your salvation and love the word, You'll, you'll defeat the enemy. That's not rocket science. <laughs> um, but, but nor is it popular because people who wrestle continually with the enemy and lose often want something different than, look, you just need to repent and, and walk with the Lord. They want some quick fix solution to win this battle. I don't think the scriptures take us there. Mm-hmm. So it begins with pastors asking the question, am I, am I a man of God evidenced by how I understand who I am in Christ and how I flesh that out of my life, my walking in truth and righteousness and so forth. We, we start there. Any, any hidden components of our lives, any hidden sin in our life, anything in the darkness of our lives uh, hinders our, our ability to, to lead other people. And then I think beyond that, it does recognize that we, we will answer to God for the care of the souls that we lead, according to Hebrews 13. And that's a that's a weighty, weighty calling. Uh, it means that I must be right with God so that I can then intercede for the people I lead. Uh, and then I would add to that one other thing that I think is, is critical. We, we cannot fight these battles alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Too, too many pastors are loners. And one of the things the enemy does, he wants to divide us and isolate us. Yeah. It's, it's both. If he can turn us against each other, he wins. If he can isolate us from the pack, if you will, which mm-hmm. makes us more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And and pastors are notorious for that. We yeah. find our own corner and hide in that corner sometimes. Yeah. And we don't we don't admit our struggles. We don't have good friends sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no one to turn to. 
And consequently, we fight on our own, and that, that puts us mm. in a really dangerous position. So I, I always, we need folks to do that. I always say an isolated sheep is the enemy's favorite favorite form of prey. That's right. Mm. I, I it's agree. It's quick and easy. Mm. I agree. Quick and easy. Mm-hmm. So, so you wrote a book uh, recently uh, on this, uh, uh, you know, on spiritual warfare through the scriptures and so on. We've been uh, focusing much of our attention kind of on the individual front, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in our own lives and our church, you know, and so on. But that's in the context of a much bigger war. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we all have our battles, if you will, but all of these battles are part of a massive really cosmic war that that is going on here. Could you could you shed some light on that a little bit? What what what's the bigger context of this of this warfare here? Yeah, the book is uh, a book that I co-wrote with Bill Cook, professor of New Testament at Southern mm-hmm. Seminary, a great friend, great pastor. Uh it's called Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture. And the very f- the first half of the book is Dr. Cook actually moving from Genesis to Revelation to cover every passage in the scripture that deals with with the demonic with wow. with warfare, uh, and he does a phenomenal job of somehow bringing all of this to light in in that part of the book. And then mm-hmm. the second part of the book, I take all of his all of his brilliance much. He's much more brilliant than I, <laughs> and and made some practical application mm-hmm. for how do we, here's what the scripture says. How do how do we live that out? If I could summarize what the Bible teaches, the war is real. Christ has already defeated the devil, and mm-hmm. you and I, though the war is still real for us can walk in victory. What's mm-hmm. what's the enemy doing? Again, he wants to to hit at God's glory. Mm-hmm. He wants to defeat God's people and keep non-believers in darkness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we send out as as we send out our own church members to do evangelism, as we send out missionaries that we commission to go to the ends of the earth, we're we're walking them into the war. Yeah. Uh, which means we better make sure that we have equipped them to do that. And that means teaching them how to wear the, the whole armor of God, because we don't we don't learn that by osmosis. We have to teach <laughs> each other how to how to walk in truth, how to mm-hmm. walk in righteousness, and and how to speak the gospel of peace and what the promises are. And I think what happens, Roger, is so many times we we reach people and never disciple them, mm-hmm. which means. God has transferred them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, according to Colossians 1. But they're babies in Christ then, right. and we don't teach them how to put the armor on. Consequently, they get shot down in a battle that, that they don't even know exists. Mm-hmm. And then we get frustrated at them because they've lost their passion. Yeah, uh, That's what the enemy wants. He wants to shut us down before we ever get started in being gospel lights. No, I I totally agree with you. I think it's a massive problem that we don't spend more time pouring into new believers. We would never just like leave a baby out to go fend for itself. So there needs to be more time and focus in discipling mature believers. Recently, we just did a podcast on preaching the gospel to yourself. And how can you how can you be in a state where the enemy can come at you when you've just been preaching the gospel to yourself, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. Uh, what the scripture says about who you are in Christ. And so another thing is just making sure you're meditating on the gospel reality that you are a new creation mm-hmm. in Christ. And anything that the enemy says against you is a lie. Anything that's counter that's to right. that is that's a right. lie. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's again why we need other people in our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in, in the midst of our own struggles— it's, it's one thing to say, 
preach the gospel to yourself right. when you're on the mountain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we know that at the <laughs> good points, that's what we got. But when we're in the valley, it's also easy to forget that. Yeah. And yeah. we need other people then in our lives who are walking with us arm in arm. Saying, right. all right, if you're not going to preach the gospel to yourself, I'm going to preach it to you for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, again, we're not fighting these battles by, our, yeah. by ourselves. That's you, so good. you know, it's interesting because uh, obviously we're, we're recording this. And as we're rec- uh, recording this over in Eastern Europe, there is a war going on. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really interesting, looking at Putin and Zelensky, uh, their addresses uh, not just to their own people, but to the other side, you know, so Putin talking to Ukrainians, Zelensky talking to Russians and so on. You notice that the warfare isn't just going on with weapons and missiles mm-hmm. and things That's like right. that. There's also an information war going on. You know, uh, uh, Zelensky giving some of his messages in Russian, you know, where he's speaking directly to the people of Russia or even to the troops, you know, and so on. And, and vice versa. You have this going on. And it, it's interesting uh, that that information war is also a massive part of the spiritual warfare as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just what you were saying, Brandon, about how the enemy comes in, how the enemy is 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 uh, directly attacking the message of what we have in Scripture, of what Christ is for us and what he has done for us and who we are in Christ and, and, and so forth. And here comes the enemy with propaganda, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right. almost like if, you know, back in the old World War II days, dropping, you know, airdropping, yeah. you know, uh, uh, messages onto villages and things like that. No, you're not. Which is not like a new tactic of the enemy. He does this with Jesus and Jesus is like, nah, fam, I'm not not going for it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And Paul's really clear that the enemy worms his way into the church, uh, masquerading as angels of light and Mm -hmm. bringing into the church a false gospel, which again is all the more reason why we have to hold each other accountable Mm -hmm. to what we're teaching. We have to be aware of what's being taught in our in our local church context, because the enemy is always looking for some open door. And right. and what happens with with most of our folks, they hear us preach once a week, maybe twice a week. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more voices out there right. beyond ours. So many 100%. And, and we've got to work really hard to ground our people in faith. So mm-hmm. let's continue this. It's one thing to be prepared because there's such a thing as spiritual warfare, and it's another thing to experience. And so often we tend to think individually mm-hmm. when it comes to spiritual warfare, like like you're a lone soldier versus an army of many, mm-hmm. but that's not true. Like, like we've been saying here for the last few minutes, for believers, we 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 have the local church. We mm-hmm. have brothers and sisters in the trenches with mm-hmm. us in this fight. So I have two questions off of this. Why do we tend to have such an individualistic mindset when it comes to spiritual warfare and and why is it so important to have that corporate? Now, we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but why is it so important to have that corporate, we are the church together in the trenches mentality when it comes to this? Some of that individualistic mindset is really our North American culture. Mm-hmm. It's just the way we think, uh, which means the gospel has to transform our thinking process. There are other places in the world where uh, individualism isn't a part of their thinking at all. They have corporate uh, gatherings of their family, the extended family all living in the same house, uh, multiple generations. You don't even think about making a decision apart from seeking something from the elders. Mm-hmm. So some of this is just our culture. But I also think uh, in our churches, we don't we don't have a very good understanding of what Christian fellowship is. Um, 
when I first became a believer and my pastor told me we were having a fellowship dinner, uh, I had no idea what that was. <laughs> uh, but I learned when it happened that I really liked it because <laughs> there was food from one end of the hallway to the other. Uh, and I thought that's what fellowship is. And I think, honestly, that's what a lot of our folks think about. You mentioned fellowship and they think food. Mm-hmm. But but New Testament fellowship is, no, we're coming together to provoke one another to go back out into the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come together to rearm each other. Mm. Uh, but if we don't understand it that way, fellowship becomes more about what I get out of this than what we can give to each other. So mm. I think, one, it's our culture. And two, we have a really bad understanding of, of Christian fellowship. Um, your second question about corporate mentality, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. God designed us. When he said of Adam, it's it's not good for the man to be alone. I don't think God was saying that everybody's designed to be married. Mm-hmm. I do think God was saying he designed all of us to need other relationships in our life. We need him and we need others. He created us that way. Because God knew that we would fight better when we were fighting together. Um, but that that means dramatic change in, in some of our churches. It means vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It means confession. Mm-hmm. It means asking for help. Uh, it means taking the time to not do things individually, uh, but to invite others to do it with us. As pastors, I, I tell my students, uh, as much as they can, they should never do ministry alone. Mm. They should always have somebody by their side, which yeah. means I think about making a hospital visit as a pastor. It's a lot easier for me to hop in my car and go visit somebody and come home. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a lot more time consuming uh, to, and for me as an introvert, uh, it's a lot more anxiety producing that I have to go pick somebody up take somebody to the hospital to visit with me, and then probably hang out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes half a day as opposed to a, a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah. But if we're always equipping somebody, we always have somebody with us, we're guarding ourselves against spiritual attack, and we're making disciples at the same time. I think we have to get back to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, that it can be very difficult, you kind of alluded to this, when you're in a valley, it's hard to get out of it. It, it really is hard to get out of it. It's hard to do much of anything. I remember in 2018, uh, just a particular season in my life where it was just stuff was happening. You know, it was just a low season for me. And I remember scheduling an appointment with you, Dr. Lawless, uh, to talk about doing PhD work here at Southeastern. Mm-hmm. And I remember just the immediately you asking, Brandon, how are you doing? And then just me breaking down, yeah. like, and mm-hmm. and I'm an introvert too, so <laughs> yeah. this is not like all of a sudden I'm freaking out, like what's happening. But brother, I just remember just your pastoral switch just came on, mm. and you cared for me in that moment in some real ways, and had a profound impact on my life. And not only that, uh, brother, you you followed up with me on multiple occasions through phone calls. I still have a voicemail. I refuse to delete it uh, from 2018 of you checking in on me. And so, Mm. man, I just want to encourage pastors listening right now. Like God has entrusted you with this this calling to care deeply for your people. Know your people are struggling in real ways. and, And you have an opportunity each and every time to come alongside them through their suffering and 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 really just be a voice of encouragement and that's and I agree 100% we're we're not alone like mm-hmm. us believing that 
is us falling straight for a lie. Right. Like right. we have one another in Christ to stir our affections for, for, for the Lord and to see that 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 we are more than what the enemy says we are. Mm-hmm. We don't need to buy into that, to the lie. So, brother, I just wanted to take a second and just, again, just say how, how grateful I was for you in that moment. Well, thank you for that, Brandon. I, I remember that visit distinctly. Uh, and, and sometimes as a pastor, those those kinds of visits just, just mark you a little mm-hmm. bit. And I like that because it draws you back to prayer. It draws you back to follow-up. Uh, and it helps you get a sense of, all right, this is what God has called us to do. So it means a lot to me that you that you remember that, and I'm grateful to have been a part of that. Mm. So how can you encourage pastors today who are feeling it? They're feeling spiritually drained this week. They're in a valley. Hmm. Uh, what final words of encouragement do you have for the brothers listening that might find themselves there? Uh, number one, you're not— you're not alone. You're not the first person that has gone through this. All of us who've been pastors have those memories of those tough times. Uh, some of this is the reality of ministry. When you're caring for the souls of people, that calling grips your, your heart. I think sometimes we as pastors weep over other people's sin more than they weep over their own sin. Mm-hmm. And so in, in some ways, we're, we're bearing the burden of our own lives and the, and the lives of others. And so there, there really is a heaviness to this uh, some days that is just part of the calling. Uh, and I think what I would say, Brandon, is the enemy is not going to attack unless something in our life alarms him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, but but I'd almost feel better if I knew the enemy were coming after me than the enemy is leaving me alone. Mm. Um, if he's leaving me alone, it's, it's probably because there's nothing in my life that threatens him. That's not what I want. Uh, but it does mean if, if I invite that kind of attack, doing ministry well, it means that I better be wearing the armor and I better have folks wearing the armor with me. Same thing we've said all along. You, you're not by yourself. I, I would say there are people in your life who will pray for you, who will love on you, but you're probably going to have to take the initiative to go find them. Mm. And I'd encourage these pastors, keep seeking until you find somebody. Mm. If some folks say they don't have time, they feel uncomfortable with that, they don't want to do it, don't let the enemy cause you to give up. You keep seeking because God has somebody who will, who will walk with you. Hmm. That's really helpful. Well, that'll do it, Dr. Lawless. Thank you again for joining today's discussion. If you're interested in this topic and want a solid resource, consider adding spiritual warfare in the storyline of Scripture, a biblical, theological, and practical approach to your library. If you found today's conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback uh, you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 